Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. This is Adam Kaplan, the voice in your ears, and I have a very special guest today, handsome Scott Hudson, the pride of Mississauga. How we doing, baby? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a while. Uh, we spent some time together in Thailand when you were over there on a, on a sponsorship from Team Quest Thailand, and uh, I was fortunate enough to, to get to run around with the pro team, so that was uh, always great. We have Jeremy Kennedy, the unanimous decision vet, UFC vet, who's been on the shows. So it was only right that I got you on. Yes, sir, man. Those are good times, man. Absolutely. I think about them every day, especially that <laughs> uh, little lunch and coffee after training in the morning. That's what's up. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So you're on a five-fight winning streak. Um, you, you had a great little run with BTC, and then XFC went and picked you up, and you were victorious unanimously, clearly, in that first fight. Um, mm -hmm. Grappling was definitely one of the strong suits, but you clearly had him beaten wherever you wanted in that fight. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about the experience over at XFC? Because I know it's probably your first time also fighting under such a crazy time. Yeah, like it was like during the pandemic, I was it was really obviously a struggle to get competition anywhere. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to get hooked up with these guys. And um, I think I went like almost an entire year between fights before these guys locked me down. And I'm put into this eight man lightweight tournament where, you know, they kind of have people from Canada, uh, Mexico, uh, Europe, United States, sort of all fighting for um, XFC's lightweight title, as well as like cash. And, uh, so I got uh, Dwan Owens in the first round, and um, he's super, you know, grizzled veteran guy, really tough to, tough to put away. He's got a ton of experience. And, uh, yeah, it was a good fight. I went out there after, you know, sort of like a, one of the longer layoffs of my career, and uh, I felt like I, I put it on him really well. Clearly got, clearly got the decision I was looking for, and, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. XFC was great to work for, and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back in there next month, hopefully. What I've always been so impressed with with your game is that, you know, like your performance at Full Metal Dojo where you just put on a, a wrestling clinic, you know, it, it, it seems as if, to me, you're one of the most well-rounded fighters that aren't in the UFC right now. You wrestle as if you've wrestled in universities, you've wrestled at Commonwealth tournaments, but you also box as if you, you've just finished the Golden Gloves, as if you are a professional boxer. I believe that you could go and do those grappling tournaments and do kickboxing and boxing matches and not feel uncomfortable at all. I believe that your well-rounded skills are one of the most impressive things um, that I see in an MMA fighter, especially that's not in the UFC. Now, what is it exactly that makes you feel so comfortable um, dissecting these arts without maybe necessarily having the concrete background and specializing in anything, but you do perform as if you are a specialist? Uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate you saying that. And um, it's, it's a big compliment when somebody kind of notices that part of your game, because I think that it's like a really underrated point from like the casual fan and the truth is is that like I never I didn't come from a traditional martial arts background so I don't really have like a specialty right but I did take quite a bit of time as an amateur to compete in kickboxing and boxing and grappling tournaments I mean with the exception of wrestling um I've, I've, I've pretty much competed as an amateur individually in each sport to some to some degree and uh, I think that's definitely helped. And just making like a, a solid 
commitment to fundamentals in each discipline was was key for me from the get-go and um yeah I, I, it's not so much the wrestling like i think that i i'm pretty proud of how, how far my wrestling's come but it's the ability to kind of put it into uh practice in competition right like um one of the things that I pride myself on is that like I have sort of like a game plan for what I want to do in these fights, but it, you know, it doesn't really take me that long to figure out the path of least resistance. Like I can look at you and look at your past fights and kind of see, okay, this is what I expect from this guy. You know, how am I going to beat him? Uh, but, but really like once you're in the fight, I, I think I'm probably one of the better fighters at making the adjustments and putting you where you're weakest and you can only do that with a well-rounded skill set. That's 100% true. That, that is exactly what I'm witnessing every time Scott Hudson gets into the octagon, is that you are pinpointing exactly what the weakest, uh, the, the easiest route to get there, and you expose it completely. Now, next round, we got Kurt Hollibaugh in XFC. He's an 18-7 and seven vet. He's fought in the UFC against the likes of Pat Healy and Steven Seiler. He's fought in Titan FC against the likes of Des Green. You know, one of the stronger guys on the pro circuit that, you know, fights on the independent circuits, we could say. Definitely one of the tougher vets there. You know, we spoke off the record, and I had mentioned that I think that Kurt is the perfect opponent for you to meet in the semifinals as opposed to the finals to really solidify where you are in the world rankings. Uh, why don't you talk about that matchup a little bit? True. So in my opinion, like from the get-go, Kurt was the, the toughest um, opponent for me out of all of the eight guys. Like if I was going to get matched out against anybody, I, I felt like he was the toughest fight. And like having him in like the first round, for example, would be like the toughest go for whoever drew him, right? So there is some like, obviously like uh, one of his most dangerous aspects is that he's been in there with like top 10 guys in the world. Like he's, he's, he's been everywhere. He's done it all. He's super experienced. He's super tough. Um, he's got really good boxing. He's got good jiu-jitsu. That being said, um, I'm quite a bit taller than him. I'm quite a bit longer than him. I feel like I should be able to outgrapple him. And as long as I can kind of like spend most of the fight either in kickboxing range or in the clinch, I should be able to piece him up pretty good. But like I want to try to avoid getting into a full-blown boxing match with him because he's got heavy hands and he is, he is fast. Well, I absolutely think also, though, in terms of the trajectory of your careers, this is clearly your time, and, and you clearly believe that he's had his time, right? Yeah, so, you know, it is one of those things, too, where it's like, um, somebody sent me an interview that he did right after um, the first round of the tournament came in and how he kind of felt like he matched up against me. And, like, one of the things that he said was that he's been in there with way better guys. And, like, yeah. That's, that's true, you know what I mean? But if the best thing that you can say about yourself, about why you're gonna beat me, is you've like lost fights to better guys, it's, he's already kind of kicking it off with the loser's mentality, right? Like, I don't view it that way at all. I see him as a challenge, and you know what? To be fair, you had your chances and you fucking blew them, so it's my turn, and you're just in my way. That's exactly, that is exactly the situation, and I feel that him coming back at you with that remark, or him just speaking that into existence in general, just goes to show you, um, he's focusing on things of your career that you don't even have control of. If it was up to you, you would have fought in all the top guys already, or we, you know, right? So mm -hmm. re realistically, he, he exposed something about your career that really isn't in your control. So to me, that, that doesn't really mean much. Now, 
How do you feel comfortable in terms of your comfortability fighting during a COVID era? Was it difficult? Did you feel that uh, fight week didn't feel the same and it kind of took the allure and the jazz feel about it or did you prefer it? No, I definitely don't prefer it. Like I want to have a lot of fans in the stands. Like I feel like I really feed off that quite a bit. Um, so obviously like the, the, the biggest problem with fighting during COVID times is the travel. Um, it's, you know, I think like my last handful of fights have been within driving distance of my house. Right. So the last whatever, six or seven fights have been within either like 15 minutes from where I live or like four hours from where I live. I've been driving. So this is my first time really traveling back down into the States or internationally, um, in a few years. And, um, yeah, so it was just, it, it's kind of like, it puts an extra wrinkle with travel in general, but when you're doing it in a time where um traveling in general is very polarized you know what i mean like it's um it's difficult because the way that you're viewed for traveling and the sort of hoops that you have to go through in order to get to the fight in the best of times it just made it like an extra layer of of difficulty but once i got to atlanta for the last event um xfc did a really good job of like having all the fighters and staff tested um they put us in a in a suite so that we get more comfortable spending time in our room um they they comped all of our meals at the restaurant and the hotel so if we needed something it was there they're pretty receptive to taking care of us and they basically put us all in a room tested us and said like listen you're all tested you're all you're all, everybody here is clean um we can't make you stay in your hotel room but like, if you go out to a bar tonight and fucking get a punch, feel sick, like you're you're kind of a piece of shit, right? So, they they're they're pretty transparent about what they expected of us, and just you know, they're basically like, don't act like an idiot in the city, and uh, you know, they 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 brought us out there early, I would assume, to test us and make sure that there was no there was no problems with that. So I mean, like, it has been hard a to get fights, b to get promoters who are willing to pay for the fighters to travel because I have training partners that are paying out of their own pocket to get into the States. And that's like, uh, in my opinion, I could never be a promoter and in good faith, look at a fighter and be like, please pay for you in your corner to get to my event. Like it's, it's beyond Bush league in my opinion. And I'm really blessed that I'm not having to deal with any of that right now. So I've got a good thing going with XFC and the next event, I'm, I'm pretty sure I still don't have all of the details like locked in 100%, but it's gonna, it's looked like it's gonna be in Oklahoma City, which is a state that's a little bit more opened up and they're gonna have a little bit more leeway to give us some freedom um, once we get there, freedom to travel and the freedom to have some fans in the stands, which I think is what is really important for promotion. Well, that's great to hear that the experience is quite comfortable because I do think the things that go negatively leading up to the fight can affect what happens in the fight. Clearly, that wasn't an issue because you definitely put on a, a decisive performance. And I think that a performance that Kurt Hollibaugh is definitely going to have to take into deep consideration in terms of how deep of the waters you're going to drag him in. A um, little bit of a cliche question, but, you know, have to ask, Given your skill set, you obviously feel that you're perhaps stronger in every single department. Now, when you do look at a guy like Kurt Hollibaugh, what are some of the things that you dissect in terms of what will be the, uh, the easiest path with the least resistance? Um, 
Yeah, like, like I said earlier, like I want to try my best to stay out of boxing range and try to control the range a little bit better. So if I can stay long and, and you know, use my reach to sort of keep him at bay, then that's ideal. It's either all the way in or all the way out. Like I want to be at kickboxing range where I can land my longer strikes, my straight punches and my, my kicks and stuff like that. Or, you know, look to grapple or look to be in, uh, be right up against him. Like I feel like especially – since my wrestling has improved so much, it's given me a lot more leeway in the clinch. So my ability to like uh, land strong knees and elbows in the clinch has been a game changer in my last handful of fights. And it's really, I think, what's separated me from my opponent in the striking, given uh, different skill sets and different body types. I think that's been like one of the um, intangibles that I've brought to the game. So, I mean, getting to there is going to be important and sort of putting the pace down that's something that I'm comfortable with. Like, I, I feel like, you know, Kurt doesn't fuck around, man. Like, he's going to look to put a lot of pressure on me. He's going to look to throw heavy, heavy shots. That's what he likes to do. That's where he's been most successful. And one thing I've noticed with Kurt, and this is not from just doing research. Like, he's been around. I've seen him on TV. You know what I mean? He, there's, nothing, there's nothing new, you know? He, he does what he does, and he does it very well. And I think that he's a little bit too complacent in the grappling exchanges. Like if he gets put on his back, he kind of just hangs out there and he doesn't like to get back to his feet where he can really, you know, you know, change, change the way the fight is going. So I think that's an advantage for me too. Whereas like if the second my ass hits the ground, I'm not going to accept getting taken down. Um, so yeah, like again, like I, I like, I'm going to give him his props to where he is strong. Like Kurt Hobo is a very good fighter and he deserves respect. Like I'm not, there's no way I'm going to go in there and say, I'm just going to fucking crunch him from the get-go like you know I, I obviously want to do that and I plan to do that but he has the ability to you know he's, he's like a he's a fucking really good fighter man like um if you don't if you don't show this guy respect where he's good he'll, he'll make you pay for it and I fought guys like him before so I know I know how dangerous a guy like that can be and I'm not but how do you feel that um your Muay Thai clinch and your wrestling game have you know, basically come together for the better in your career. I mean, you've spent so much time in Thailand, the endless hours of clinching, and then as well, those endless hours on the mat in terms of wrestling. Where do you feel that you've kind of fused both of those arts to work to your advantage? Well, like, do you remember how it was training with Dylan and how, like, he had, like, a really strong wrestling background, but he also had, like, a pretty extensive Muay Thai background, so he could kind of take, like, a Greco-Roman um sort of approach to the tie clinch you know what i mean like that i think that really did have a lot of like a big impression on me and that kind of stuck with me right because here's the thing too is that if you if you were to take like a muay thai fighter and put him in the clinch with me in an mma mma scenario but i could wrestle you it's easy for me to kind of like deal with that right but if that guy has fantastic wrestling defense it changes everything right and that's like again it's just another layer of the game that if you have a good coach like that and even the coaches that i work with now um you know really really fantastic wrestling coaches really fantastic grappling coaches and striking coaches and it's just it's it's one of those things where like you need to figure out a way to make your skill set work in a sport where you can do it all you know what I mean, so it doesn't matter if you're if you've got fantastic jujitsu, like that's only valuable if you're able to use it. <laughs> it seems like it seems kind of simple, but it's not, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's why I love that you brought up Coach Dylan Fussell because 
You know, another thing that Coach Dylan does that I don't see in a lot of MMA gyms is the sparring with elbows, okay? Having elbow pads on. And that Greco-Roman slash Muay Thai clinch style, you know, with adding in pummeling as well as being able to throw in close elbows and, and dirty boxing, that has really built a whole other realm to your game that I've really taken notice to and has been, you know, a breath of fresh air because most of the time in those clinch exchanges is when, you know, the casual fans' eyes shut off. But when I watch guys like you and Mark Abelardo, where as soon as you guys are in that dirty boxing range, wrestling, elbows, uppercuts, everything goes with you guys. And, and that is something that I really attribute to, to Coach Dylan Fussell because you guys were putting in endless hours in those 10 a.m. practices to make sure that in any range that you guys were in, you were able to wrestle, you were able to kickbox, you were able to perform Muay Thai, and you were, you know, you were also able to tie it all in, but then undo it all at the same time. And I thought that that was, you know, something that's really taken your career to the next level. Um, Speaking of Thailand, you know, you have spent great time there. You were at, uh, I believe it was uh, Sit Patong. And then also you've been at Tiger Muay Thai and you, you've yep. also been at uh, Team Quest Thailand. How do you feel the lifestyle that you've been living now being more back in Ontario versus when you were on the road in Thailand? How do you feel that, you know, those, uh, that, cha- that drastic change has affected you? Besides the cost of living, besides the easy life, how are things changed in terms of those training camp styles? Um, well, I put like over the past, you know, four years or so, I put myself in a really good position where I'm coaching and I'm in the gym every day. So kind of building my practices around that uh, has been super easy for me and convenient that combined with like my coaches taking like a leadership role in um, sort of planning not just my training camp, but making sure that everybody's held accountable for their time and their practice, right? So everything's very, very structured for us. Like my coaches, um, Lyndon Whitlock and Chris Prickett and Rory McDonald, they've done a really good job over the past few years in like laying out certain expectations of us, of, of, of what they want to see when we're in practice and when we are at practice. So like we have like a pretty tight-knit crew with people coming and going. And um, I feel like I just, I'm on a different level now because of that. and. Um, um, I, yeah, I'm able to kind of like build my life around my training schedule and I've had success in my fighting career, but I've also had success coaching and in business and stuff like that. So I've, you know, I've been able to kind of do the things I want and, you know, it's true. Like if you really pursue things with passion, like good, good things happen. Right. So I've never been in a position where it's like, oh, I can't train or I can't do this or I'm too broke to do this or I don't have this the support from my family or my friends or no training partners and stuff like that so I, I think that I've done a really good job sort of building like an insulation to protect the the lifestyle that I want to live which is which is key right like I've never been one of those people that's like completely fucked off in between in between training camps and um yeah I just I have a lifestyle where I can sort of pursue martial arts full-time and it's it's fantastic like one thing that's happening right now is that we still don't have the date for the next event locked down. Like they're, you know, we have like, they're telling us be ready for this, um, be ready for that. And it's not really phasing me that much because no matter what they tell me, I'm going to do the same thing every day anyway, because, you know, I love being in the gym and I'm, I'm in a position where it's easy for me to make those adjustments um, just for my day-to-day life. 
You, you know what I mean? I'm in there every day. My coaches have an expectation of me. And, you know, basically all I've got to do is show up. So it makes it really easy on mine. Well, that's great to hear because I think that that's one of the fears that a lot of fighters have when they train in Southeast Asia is how they're going to manage, you know, the expenses and the schedule and being more in that fast life action when they move back home. So it's yeah. refreshing to hear somebody not being fearful to leave perhaps an easier setting and an easier life to be able to buckle down in his hometown and get his dreams done. Now, on the topic, how, do, how is it fighting about 15 minutes to four hours away from where you live versus your experiences on Full Metal Dojo in Bangkok and fighting in M1 Global in, in, in China as well? How do those two differ? Because from certain people, I hear that they prefer not fighting out of their backyard and then to others, that's all they prefer. So how do you feel about it? I, lo I love fighting close to home. Like, it's great. Like, I mean, it, it, to be fair, it does kind of change the sort of vibe around like a fight trip, you know what I mean? Where you can kind of like get in the zone and everything that you're doing from morning to night is sort of like in line with your goal for that trip, right? So it is a little bit more relaxed, but it's not like it hasn't been like a detriment to me, I don't think. But there is something about like, okay, getting in the car, getting on a plane, packing all your stuff. And it's like, as soon as you're kind of, you're there, you're like, yeah, it's on, right? And that doesn't happen the same way. Um, but one thing I will say is that because there was like not very many people in the building for my last fight, because they were all, they did actually sell some tickets, but maybe with the staff and the, and the, and the fans that they were allowed to sell, there was probably only 200 people in there, right? Which is not very much. And, um, one thing that kind of threw me off a little bit was that it was hard for me to like get the adrenaline going. Like I was very, very calm before the fight, which I usually am. But I wasn't, didn't go through the same motions. And, and part of that might be just I'm getting more experience now. So it's, it's having less and less of an effect on me. But even getting my adrenaline up before the fight, like I could feel shots. Like I could feel the pain of like certain exchanges a little more than usual. Where like usually like my adrenaline's going so hard that I'm just in there. And like shots that aren't going to put me out like I could actually you know like maybe getting hit in the leg or getting hit in the body I was like damn man like I can kind of I can feel this it was almost like if you've ever tried to like spar without warming up or something like that and you're kind of like ah man this feels kind of shitty you know what I mean it was sort of like that and then once I kind of got into my rhythm it you know it, it became less of a thing but the first like little bit of the fight and even just kind of waiting to go out there's not really any crowd noise or anything like that and it was a little bit strange but I mean it's just one of those things where the more you do it, I'm sure the easier it'll be. But I hope that, I hope that like I never have to do that again. Not because I can't do it, but because I want fans in the stands. I want to be going to places where there's thousands of people. Like you know what I mean? Everybody does. Yeah. Not just in fighting, but in general. Like I think we're all ready to get back on the horse and get moving again. Do you feel that the lack of adrenaline, perhaps in your last fight, had to do with maybe a, a differentiality and how you warmed up? Do you do you like to warm up hard? How do you like to warm up? Yeah, like I like to get a really good sweat going in the back. Like I like to really, really get it going. Um, no, I, I don't think it was that. I think it was just like when you know there's lots of people like out there that are going to like watch you either win or potentially get like embarrassed. Like it's nerve wracking. You know what I mean? And there was just less of that this time. And I think it was just based strictly on the environment. Like, I think that like 
there was a lot of people who were watching me online and people who were buying the pay-per-view. So it was being viewed by still a lot of people, but not having it insulated in the same building felt a little strange. And to be fair, like my, my first handful of amateur fights, there was probably only like 150 people in the building anyway. So there's not much difference, but it was just strange. It had been a while, you know what I mean? So it was like a, it was a different experience. And like, even when you watch like the UFC, when they do it at the Apex Center and stuff like that, I can't, like, it is not the same when, like, a big action happens in a fight and the crowd goes fucking crazy. Like, people are like, oh, it's cool that you can hear the corner and stuff like that. It's like, nah, not really. Man. Like, no fighter or nobody who wants to, like, be in a spectator sport wants to do it in front of nobody. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there's lots of fighters that would do it for 500 bucks in a dark alley somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure that, 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 that that's for real. But, I mean, like, at least I think I can speak for a lot of people when like we want the fans there. We want the energy because that's what makes it, you know, that's what makes it great. Like it's, it's sort of like uh, the environment, just like when you go to a concert, you know what I mean? Like if you were like, if you went to like, like a fucking Lady Gaga concert or something like that, like it would be weird if there was 20 people in a way, you know what I mean? Like it would be kind of strange. What a That's choice. Kind of like why you, That's kind of like why you go, you know? Yeah, yeah. Handsome Scott Hudson endorsing Lady Gaga, baby. <laughs> That's cool. Now, um, how does it differentiate, you know, fighting on the amateur circuit, fighting in front of 150 people to fighting in front of thousands of people in, in Ontario to then also going back to fighting in around 50 to 70 people in somewhere like Taipei Stadium? How do, how do you go as a professional fighter from, from going through all of these different leaps and bounds? I mean, is it truly because a fight is a fight or, you know, it, does it really not matter about the setting? I think it does matter. Like, I think the, I think the environment is huge. So, like, so, for example, if you're at, at Taipei Stadium, for example, right? Yeah, how many people can fit in there? But it's not very big, right? If you put 2,000 people in the Bell Center, it seems empty. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not fun. And we've all been to MMA fights where it's like, this venue is way too big for like your expectations of ticket sales and it fucks the entire like ambiance up. I would rather fight in a 200 seat arena that had 200 people in it yeah. than a 10,000 seat arena with 2,000 people in it. You know what I mean? Because th that stuff is important. And it, like I said, it's not just for MMA, but it's for, for sporting events. In, in general, you know what I mean? Yeah. Now let's talk about the UFC a little bit because you and I both know that you're on the cusp of, of getting that contract from the UFC. Definitely one of the hotter prospects or if not the hottest prospect in Canada right now, especially with TKO folding. I think that that did set back certain uh, Canadian MMA fighters, which I was actually happy to see in the long run that you yeah. didn't end up fighting for TKO because of reasons like that. Um, how do you feel in terms of, you know, all of the prospects in Canada? Where, where do you rank yourself? Because to me, you're, you're sitting at the top, at the top three for sure. Yeah, I don't know. So like, I don't know if you know, but a few years ago, I, I kind of kind of came close to locking down a fight with uh, Michelle Pereira. And um, that, that kind of fell through because they went with um, – uh Tristan Connolly to take the fight instead so like I had already sort of opened a dialogue with the UFC so despite the fact that I was super disappointed that I didn't get that fight at least I was like okay I'm on their radar 
I've kind of got an in with them now. And then so another opportunity came up where they, they wanted me to fight at lightweight, but because it would have been impossible for me to make the weight. Like it was just it literally impossible, could not have happened. And then a little bit more dialogue. And it was basically like, we'll see, we'll see, but we're not going to outright sign you. And I think that they've said the same thing, like before, like Aaron Jeffries last fight, that they're just, they're just not going to outright sign him. So just keep fighting and we'll see what happens sort of deal. And the UFC is like that. Like they're not going to, I mean, I know for me, they weren't like, well, win this next fight and then you're good to go. Like I thought after my fight in, November of 2019, I thought for sure that was it. I thought, this is it. I'm going. And uh, it, it didn't really work out that way. So, you know, what can I do? Even still, like with XFC, there was part of me that was a little bit hesitant to um, sign a contract with them because they have me for three fights or until the end of 2021. But what am I going to do? Like, I've got to, I've got to compete. I can't just sit on the shelf and hopefully wait for somebody to pick me. Like, that's not how this works. And it's not like in my temperament, right? So I want to compete. I want to go out there. And, you know, obviously with the pandemic, a, a way that a lot of the Canadians get onto these cards is because they put the events on in Canada and they want to fill these spots with Canadians, right? So the re I had an opportunity to fight in February of 2020 and I didn't do it pre-pandemic because the UFC was coming to Saskatchewan, I think in May. And I was like, you know what? I'm really going to make a push for this event and see what, see what I can do. And in my mind, and in a lot of the people who were helping me make these decisions, it was, well, what else are they going to do? Like, I think that they had already signed like TJ Laramie at the time, who was probably in front of me and, and Jesse Ronson ended up getting signed as well. And, you know, after that, you know, there's like a couple guys that I trained with Aaron Jeffrey and Anthony Romero that I think are sort of in the same boat as me where they're, you know, okay, another win, and then another win, and then another win. It's like, well, fuck, how many, like, how many fights do I got to win before, you know? And it's, it's just one of those things where I could have never have known what was coming, right? If I would have known the world is going to shut down for a year, I would have taken a, I would have tried to compete a little bit more in, the, in that in-between time. But I didn't because I was waiting for an opportunity and it didn't come, right? And, you know, like, you can only control what you can control. So like I can go out there and I can fight my ass off and, and try to look out for the best opportunities for myself. But if like, if, if a promotion isn't interested in just outright signing me, what can I do? I can't make them do anything. I got to just go out and give them a reason to. Yeah. Right. But it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, yeah, it's a goal of mine to fight for the UFC, but it would be great to fight big fights anywhere in the world for any of the other bigger promotions as well. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to kind of get the most out of my career. Like, I'm 33 years old. Uh, I, I think I take care of myself really well. I don't have the most miles on my body, so I'm feeling good and I'm feeling super competitive with everybody. But, you know, there is another part of me that looks at some of the guys who the UFC's been signing, specifically in the lightweight division, and it makes you scratch your head because these guys aren't world class. You know what I mean? You watch some of these guys that are getting signed, and it's like, Man, I would fucking dust that guy. And he's not that good and everybody knows it. And it's not just that he's not good enough to compete like on like the world level. He's just flat out not great. And there's 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 a handful of fighters like that. Like you see it in some of like the lighter women's divisions quite a bit. And you see it in like the heavyweight division quite a bit. But for that to happen in the most competitive division on the planet, which is like, you know, arguably the men's lightweight division, it's like, come on, man. You're not making this easy for me. And at the end of the day, like, do I want to fight for the UFC? 
yes, that would be an amazing experience. Um, uh, but at the same time, like I'm looking to try to like make a living for myself and carve out sort of, you know, my little area of MMA and all, all I want is the, the best opportunities to do so. So, and, and at the moment, the XFC has given me that, you know, they're taking care of their fighters. They're paying everybody really well. Um, they're being super transparent with everybody and they're, they're trying to build like a brand for themselves. They're not trying to directly compete with anybody, but they're trying to carve out something that is their own. And, you know, so much. Well, I'm happy that you brought up other promotions because that was my next question. So clearly, based on what you just said, it is not UFC or bust. You are interested in the likes of Bellator. You are interested in the likes of PFL, perhaps even one championship if they'll sign a, another Canadian fighter. Um, do you like the tournament idea of PFL? Do you prefer perhaps going to Bellator? Um, you know, or, or how, how do you feel about that? Because I think that people have mixed feelings about PFL, you know, with the way they treated their fighters over the whole COVID thing, only offering them a thousand dollars a month. And then also, you know, only having kind of like a tournament slash football league setting in the way that they run their division. So which one, which promos do you like? Um, I mean, I like PFL as well. Like it's good that they're kind of getting a little bit more high profile fighters in their tournaments. Um, if you listen, man, like they don't have to do any of that. They wouldn't, if they, if they're not doing events, how are they supposed to make money? How are they supposed to pay you? Like, you know what I mean? Like you're essentially an independent contractor. So like, you can't just sit back and be like, well, I have a contract with you for this, pay me this. Like, it doesn't work like that. You like, and at the end of the day, like you really have to like applaud the UFC for like having the balls to go through and putting all these events on, right? So like, if you're a UFC, and actually, you know what too is that the UFC has kind of chosen who they want to push through these pandemics because there's like a lot of fighters that you haven't seen at all, and then there's fighters that you see every three months, like, and it's kind of like, why are these guys getting such a big push at this time? But at the end of the day, like. They started putting on events when people, they were getting a lot of backlash for it, right? But, you know, I think they did the right thing. I think that it's, it's, it's boosted their brand tenfold in the past year. You know what I mean? And it really has solidified themselves as like the juggernaut in the MMA world, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like I, I'm, not, I'm not adverse to, to fighting anywhere. You know what I mean? Like all I want to do is test myself against the best guys in the world. And the argument can be made for that anyway. Like, here's the truth is that like outside of the UFC's top 10, you might be looking at any, any promotion. You know what I mean? Um, the, the, the best thing about the UFC is that a lot of people are going to see you if you can fight yeah. on a main card or something like that. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people are going to watch you, which is what ends up, you know, giving you the best exposure. Yeah. So at the, yeah, at the end of the day, I just want to test myself against the best guys in the world and, Hopefully I get the opportunity to do that. But it is, and I am blessed to be able to fight a guy like Kurt who's, who's been around the block and he's probably my most experienced opponent. And, uh, you know, it could be worse, man. It could always be worse. People, people are going through this pandemic, you know, way worse than I am. So I'm just happy to get the opportunity. Exactly. You do bring up a good point. The UFC uh, did put themselves in a position where, you know, being in the Middle East, they could open up their eyes and their ears and their market to fighters you know, in Eastern Europe, in Africa, in the Middle East, et cetera. So not only did they help push those North American fighters, but they also, 
you know, in such a crucial time when no other sports were on, use that opportunity to push those lower level fighters or those fighters with less of a name or marketability. So I like that you did bring that up, but let's go back to your career. That's why we have you on the show. Um, what do you think is the next step for you after they open the borders up? Obviously, you know, Parabellum had to be uh, just in the short term close. You are very confident that they will be back up and running and you'll be able to, you know, run your business out of there and also help pass down all of the knowledge that the likes of Rory have shown you. Um, but are there any camps that you have on your mind that you'd like to maybe go and take a visit at for a week or two or maybe spend a few months on end? Yeah, I'd like to go, like, um, maybe to, like, Sanford MMA in Florida. Like, they've got really good guys out there. And I know that there are some Canadians that are going down there, and I have a couple connections there. So that might be an option moving forward as well. And to be honest, like, if, we're, if we can't do anything in Ontario here, like, I know you're from Quebec, so you're kind of in a similar boat. Like, man, we might as well just go down there and train anyway because we're probably going to get better opportunities, not just for me, but, like, for a lot of the amateurs here that I train with and some of like the pros that are really struggling to get fights. Like it's like, it's setting us back 10 years. It's pretty brutal. And you know, I really feel for them. So man, like we should just rent a house in Florida and just like squat down there for a couple months and yes. you know, wait this thing out. Um, yeah. So that's the option as well. And obviously like I'm going to go back and forth to Thailand for the rest of my life for training. And just because I think it's a, it's a, Pretty amazing place. Exactly. I had a strong intuition that you were going to say uh, Sanford MMA. I believe that that gym fits your style perfectly. Um, you don't come off as somebody who likes to brawl in, in, in sparring and training, but you definitely, you definitely are somebody who likes to push that gear into the red zone when, when you are preparing for fights and you are in camp. I've seen it firsthand. It definitely shows in your fights as well. So I do think that, you know, training under Henry Hooft and Kami as well at Sanford MMA would really help for that mixed martial arts. And as you know, maybe Rory McDonald is there right now. Uh, training there due to the pandemic as well. So I do believe that that is a great camp for you to be at. And I also think because you're in that 155, 170 realm, you fit in perfectly with all of the guys uh, inside of that gym. So I had a strong feeling you were going to say that and, and, and you, you definitely hit it right on the money when you said that. Moving to Florida would be great. It would be big. But I also like how you said how this is setting back the amateur careers, you know, because fighting is one of those difficult sports. It's not like hockey. It's not like soccer or football where it's practice, practice, play. You could be literally training MMA for years before you taste any competition. And yeah. you know better than I that there are a lot of people that like to come in and sign up for a gym membership after a big UFC weekend. And then when they see how much work and consistency without even getting the gift of fighting happens, um, how many guys actually quit and, and, and fall off before any of that happens. So the fact that you said that it sets back uh, amateur MMA is so true because there are guys that are going to quit before they even have the idea to see it through due to the lack of competition. Yeah. So like one thing I always say to my students is like when they ask me like, well, what do I need to do to, if I want to fight or what do I do? Like what avenues do I need to take this and that? And my answer is always the same. It's show up. So all you've got to do is show up, you show up every day. That's when good things happen. If you consistently train, there's, you know, at, a, at, a, at, a, at an amateur baseline, there's not much more than that. Like, we'll figure everything else for you. All you got to do is show up. And um, so, 
even when I was an amateur, I was having to go down to the States to, to do my fights and stuff like that. And that kind of changed a little bit in Ontario and Quebec as well. Like things started getting a little bit better and there was a lot more opportunities for people. But now in, on, I, I'm pretty sure every Canadian province, they have not promoted one amateur event because these things are all government regulated and it's not a priority for them. So um, it doesn't matter how safe you say you're going to do it or what precautions you take it. They're not even going to consider it because you're so low on the totem pole. Right. And um, I think that like, I think they're doing a professional MMA in BC next month with like Elias Theodore who's fighting Matt Dwyer. That's actually happening. That's a big but thing. Even, even think about like you're, you're, you're in Quebec. Um, it's like, you know, arguably Canada's hotbed for boxing, right? Lots of professional boxing events, a lot of amateur boxing events, and that's completely shut down in a year. You guys haven't had, you guys haven't had boxing at all, right? We did have a little bit. We, uh, David Lemieux did fight in Shawnigan, which is like uh, probably three, four hours away from Montreal. It's, it's more, of a, uh, more of a country t countryside town. And um, yeah, we had a couple of pro amateur uh, pro fights. The biggest, um, the biggest conflict or negative response was is that it's too long in between fights with the sanitization of the ring, which to me is like, boo-hoo, you want to watch fights or not? But uh, yeah, it's definitely been on, on the back burner a, a little bit for sure. Yeah, but I mean, there's definitely, way, and here's the thing, it's just like a trust thing. Like you, it's the same thing with like fucking restaurants and stuff like that. Like the people who have the ability to make it as safe, as safe as possible for everybody, they're the ones getting shit on. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like you can go and get on a, a bus with four, with you know however like a full bus and that's no problem it's completely safe in their eyes but you can't go to a restaurant where they're taking literally every single precaution because their lives depend on it um, it doesn't make any sense and people are willing to do this people are willing to fork out the time and the money to put these events on and the government is just completely nixing it and what happens when you don't have uh, amateur competition is that you don't you don't have any development, right? So if we go another year without having any uh, amateur competition, what's gonna happen in five years from now when all of like the regional pros have either moved on or retired, there's not gonna be, um, the there's not gonna be like a stockpile of fighters to take that space, right? And um, you need to be groomed and you're gonna see this with every single sport in the country you know, obviously it's going to happen on a way lower scale for hockey, but the same thing is going to happen where like you're going to go for two full years where, yeah, there's no amateur hockey and stuff like that, but two full years where kids aren't starting hockey, right? Kids aren't going to start playing soccer because they're not, it's not available to them. Kids aren't going to start doing MMA. So it's going to have a lot like longer and a residual effect on the sport itself. So when I say, it's setting you back 10 years. I mean, we're really not going to feel the big crunch of this in our country for a, for a number of years into the future, right? Because guys like me, like, I'm going to figure it out no matter what. I'm going to find a way to compete. Um, if I've got to go to fucking Russia, if I've got to go do whatever I got to do, like, I'm going to handle my own business. But I put myself in a position where that's a little bit more available to me, right? If you've never trained a day in your life, so you take what, you know, 
you're not going to get 50,000 gym membership signups, right? And then what? The, the 1% of the kids who actually want to compete out of those aren't going to have the opportunity to even begin training. It's just, it's going to create a chain reaction in amateur sport across the country that is going to be very, very difficult to recover from. And it's sad. And being a, like, I'm a sports fan, not just MMA, but I love, I love hockey. I love basketball. I love watching all these sports on TV. And it's, it's, at this point, given what we know about, you know, coronavirus, given what we know about people's reaction, mental health-wise, to isolation, um, specifically in young people, if we keep doing what we're doing now, regardless of coronavirus infection rates or anything like that, I think it's only going to be a negative. We can no longer do this and have a positive result right? Like we need to figure out a way. We're resourceful. We're smart people. The people who, you know, have the ability to make, have the ability to kind of like make things safe for people. Like I think we should be trusted to, to figure out a way to do it because the ramifications of what's going to happen for, you know, something that's at least a big part of my life might not be there in a decade, which is, you know, it's kind of bleak when you think about it. Dropping sound bites, dropping knowledge, dropping facts. Handsome Scott Hudson for mayor, baby. I like that. Last thing I wanted to talk to you about, you are a personal trainer. You are a coach for Muay Thai boxing. You are an MMA coach. We'll, if, if, we'll, uh, if we'll blanket it, why don't you talk to me a little bit about how it was, you know, transitioning from not only being a fighter, but now including the coaching aspect. Now that you're looking at things from a coaching lens, how has it changed your professional career as a fighter, number one? And number two, how do you feel about the job in general? I'm a personal trainer as well. I like to talk to other trainers in terms of how they like the business, how they like the industry, and what the key differences are from training guys that want to compete versus training that everyday person that perhaps likes to or doesn't like to get out of that comfort zone. Yeah, so... One thing that I noticed when I first started coaching and like whether it was, you know, jujitsu or boxing or, or kickboxing, that there was a lot of things that I knew, like a lot of techniques that I knew, but until I showed it to somebody, the words never actually left my mouth. Right. So actually saying what I was doing and showing what I was doing made me appreciate the technique a lot more. And it had like a big benefit for my actual putting those techniques into practice because there's lots of things that I had repped repeatedly for years and years and years, but I had never actually said it to somebody else. You know what I mean? Like there is a, there's, there's a million examples of me being like, okay, having to like verbally explain something to somebody and it kind of um, reinforces it in your own brain. And that's like, um, yeah, so I, I can't, I can't say, whether or not like it makes you a better fighter, but it definitely hammered home the value of good technique and the value of sort of like um, so visualizing the technique as well, as opposed to just performing it over and over and over again. Yeah. So if I could just chime in, um, what I feel is the biggest, from what I'm hearing is, is that you kind of got those three pillars of learning. You have auditory, visual, and, and kinetic, you know, movement, we'll say. So it's like, as a fighter, you're constantly just repping out what your coach told you to do when he just visually, audio, and, and kinetically showed you what to do. So 
that that's kind of what I got from what you said. Yeah, true. And um, as far like one thing that's that's really great about coaching combat sports in general is that any client that I work with or any group of students that I work with, we already have one thing in common, you know what I mean? Which kind of like bridges the relationship between us and we can actually agree on something, right? Like, because if you're showing an interest in something that like I'm best at, um, I think that there's like a mutual appreciation there that makes my job um, a lot more worthwhile as opposed to like just, um tr like training somebody in fitness or weight loss or something like that like i feel like i get a much better connection with people when it comes to combat sports because we can no, no matter what is happening in our lives like we have one thing in common right we both we both enjoy fighting right and it's, you know at the end of the day like i get to teach people how to fight for a living and it's fuck man like sometimes i gotta pinch myself because it's such a good job you know what i mean i'm really i'm one of the lucky ones for sure i think it's a great job. I mean, you know, you have the freedom to plan your schedule. You have something in common with your clients, which is always a big thing. It completely, um, it reassures all of the journey that you've been on as well. You know, that you, you've kind of ended up in the right place at the right time due to the choices and the decisions you've made. And also passing on that knowledge in mixed martial arts and combat sports through coaching. Um, there's a respect level that you're not going to necessarily get when you're coaching or teaching other things. You know, this is combat. This is real shit. Um, your clients and, and your peers understand that they can't just roll up on you and like, yeah, you're going to fold like, like, uh, like cheap laundry. You know, they know that if they fuck with you, uh, they're, they're, you know, there's that very firm line that they cannot overstep. And I think that that's, you know, always one of the great advantages to, uh, to, to teaching combat sports to people. Yes, sir. Scott Hudson, baby, 12, five and one. He's on a five fight winning streak, three by decision, two by guillotine. This man is on the cusp of making it to the UFC. Not only is he good looking, not only is he from Canada, but he knows how to win fights in every scenario in the octagon. Scott, I appreciate you as a friend. I appreciate you as a fighter. Thank you for coming on the unanimous decision today. Where could they find you, baby, online? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Handsome Scott Hudson. You can find me on Facebook at Handsome Scott Hudson. And you can go to my website, www.handsomescotthudson.com. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty receptive. If you watch this and you want to interact with me online, uh, you know, I'll message you back. You know, if you want to hit me up and you got any questions about fighting or anything that interests you, you know, let me know. Love it, man. We'll have sound bites. We'll have uh, micro videos. We'll have everything set out for you, not only to share, but uh, to help market, market you as well. I wish you luck in OKC for XFC, and I'm looking forward to that UFC call, baby. Thanks, brother. Take care, buddy.